Thanks for listening to the Dr. Drew Podcast on Podcast One. Our friends at Headspace, life can be stressful even under normal circumstances. Uh, This year has challenged all of us. We need stress relief. And one of the reasons I love Headspace, it is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditation. But it's the only meditation app advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. They do a great job. I'll tell you, when I was recovering from COVID, I had I had some you know unpleasant thoughts and things. It was really quite grueling to go through, and uh, I use Headspace to kind of get my head right. And just thirty days of Headspace lowers stress by thirty two percent, and just four sessions can reduce burnout by fourteen percent. That's right. You can check out the Wake Up Daily original content intended to inspire your day from the moment you wake up. This kind of thing can really help you, and you deserve to be happier. And Headspace is meditation made simple. What I want you to do is go to headspace.com slash Drew. Again, that's headspace, H-E-E-A-D-S-P-A-C-E, headspace.com slash Drew, not Dr. Drew, just Drew, for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditation for every situation. Head to headspace.com slash Drew today. Hey everybody, welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast. Of course, all the usual reminders, please support the guys that support us here. Uh, it is uh, indeed a pleasure to uh, talk to callers today. What's up we're going to do? We're going to just take some calls. Uh, I've got a lot of interesting podcasts coming up this year. Um, and Gary, is this the new year as I speak to everybody today? Yes, I believe it is. Well, Happy New Year, everybody. And, um, and we'll do a lot of – I've got a lot of – I've been uh, sending Gary lots of interesting guests for the upcoming 2021. Hopefully this will be a much better year than 2020. But uh, let's get to the phone lines and see what we got. And somehow, somehow, Kristen, I knew I'd hear from you. Hi there. How are you doing, Dr. Good. Drew? What's going on? So uh, my question is this. Um, I've been uh, – You know, I've been teaching my kids from home since March. Things have escalated in regards to one of my kids in, like, just dealing with anger. And we had, you know, an outburst last weekend, which ended us up having to take her to the ER. Luckily, she wasn't too hurt. She punched a window. It was actually a miracle. But here's my issue. So I'm trying to get her an appointment with a uh, pediatric psychologist, but because the demand on pediatric psychologists is so extreme right now, mm-hmm. they're telling me they don't have openings until like February, March, wow. and I don't know what to do. So how old is she? Seven. And does she have any pre-existing conditions? None beyond a developmental disorder. Which is? That's all they know. Uh. It's just a severe developmental disorder. It hasn't been specifically linked to anything like physiological or biological. Have they given they it any, any provisional names? No. no. So they have no idea what it is? Yes. And so they're not calling it autistic <laughs> spectrum. They're not calling it inborn air metabolism. They're just saying this child is not maturing on schedule? Yes. And and what is her developmental age? Well, that again is they haven't given her a developmental age. She just tested uh, the basic tests that they do for all children, 
And she tested in the 99th percentile for math, 97th percentile for uh, reading and um, just cognition. But it's it's just a mystery. I, so I'm a little confused. <laughs> usually they talk about they're usually talking about cognitive delays. So what is the delay they're talking about? Maybe it's social delays? behavioral. So so some sort behavioral of and social. And has she seen a neurologist? No. Maybe that's the best way to go about it, to, to start sort of medical, because it sounds like the kind of thing that needs some sort of chemical restraint. Not It doesn't sound mm-hmm. like something that responds to psychology. Is How has the lockdown affected her? The lockdown, I would say it's it's been very tough on her just because she, when she was in a classroom surrounded by other children, she could take cues from her classmates in regards to what was appropriate behavior with other children, appropriate behavior within the classroom. Now that we're at home and I mean, yes, I do have three kids, so they can learn from each other, but I've just seen a complete backwards aggression in return in regards to how she deals with just being frustrated. Mm. And now I'm starting to see a regression just in terms of her writing and her ability to communicate and and communicate truthfully are there any and and where did you try to get um services Uh, well initially uh like when we were getting into a birth at three program no no no, i mean uh, when you went to the er when you couldn't see a psychologist and they they put you off till february where where were you looking for help were you you, i was I was looking for help through names that were recommended by the pediatrician. Okay. But um, it's just, I don't know if there's a shortage of psychologists. Well, there, I know there, I ran into something similar with myself a couple years ago. Well, but, I mean, um, I, what I've been saying all along is this lockdown is wiping kids out. And so, of course, the psychologists are overburdened. It's just out of control what's yeah. happening to kids. So no, no surprise here. Yeah. Uh, but it's not like these are yeah. county psychologists. You're not a me- she's not a medical patient. She has resources, and these are privately funded yeah. psychologists. All right. Yeah. So I really think you ought to go back to the pediatrician. Okay, her pediatrician. She has one mm-hmm. of those, and yeah. and say, look, is there something we can do in the meantime? You know, sometimes anti seizure medicine things like that work really well in situations like this. So you want to ask, is there something we can do to sort of put a lid on the aggression? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, it does make sense. Yeah, and and even and and then say, look, I can't get a psychologist. A, can you help us get in? Because sometimes the pediatrician office can help. And B, do you think maybe we ought to have a neurological evaluation? Because neurologists have some psychiatric background, and particularly child mm-hmm. neurologists should be able to give you an idea of what you might be dealing with, right? So those yeah. are those are the two things I would do. I would go to the neurologist, but I, I I would I if you had free reign, I would say I would do all three. I would say go to the pediatrician. Yeah. Let's get on something in the meantime. Get me an appointment with a neurologist, and get me an appointment with the psychologist. Yeah, I, I agree. I that's very good advice. I think just because of the nature and the danger of you know being, getting mad, punching a hole in a really thick glass in, door, in kids, having to go to the ER. In, in, I mean, yeah, in kids, these sorts of behaviors, are, I think of them almost seizure-like. They they they, they just are mm-hmm. different than, than an adult. They they aren't. I, I think of it kind of like I think of mania. Uh, and again, I'm not a yeah. pediatrician. I have no business really diagnosing. That's for sure. 
but you know when you when an adult pu- pushes a window, their frontal lobes mm-hmm. are func- functioning, and you want to appeal to their fun- frontal lobes, right? You want to go, mm-hmm. hey, yeah. think that through next time, and and you sure would do that with a child too, but it doesn't work as well because they don't have the frontal lobe function. So you have to put some yeah. sort of guide. You have to put rails on the system, and often that is an anti-seizure type medication. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, at this point, I mean, this is all very good advice. It makes complete sense to me. I'm. Uh, it's just, you know, because of current conditions with the schools, um, I've just been getting a lot from teachers. And, you know, bless them. They're doing their best. But, like, my heart breaks for you. This must oh. be so frustrating. It's like, yeah. Thanks, but that doesn't solve anything, or even like point out a pathway to solving anything. So, is there your a, advice? Speaking, I, of, I think is is good. Yeah, you see, again, the pediatrician can sometimes judge up the uh, psychologist, and certainly they can get her into a neurologist. Is um, speaking of paths, is there a path to return to school? No, there. Despite the fact that they haven't had school in session since March. There has never been a plan put together. Uh. Even if it couldn't go into effect, they didn't have anything in place for what if there is a vaccine? What if we do start to plateau? Uh. There's nothing. And so a lot of people are obviously putting a lot more pressure on our local leaders to get something. Um, I just posted in locals that the Rockefeller Institute Institute uh, working with Duke and Johns Hopkins, you know, put a very easy to understand, comprehensive plan for how to get schools reopened. Great, but it, which it, I, I posted it there, and I'd love to know your thoughts on it. But a lot of this essentially comes down to the vaccination schedule, mm. and that's kind of you know the star on the tree. Unless the teachers can get a vaccine. Uh, they're not willing to return to the classroom. And so crazy. I understand. Well, kids do but, not. They've shown over and over and over again, kids do not transmit. And I, I was looking at, uh, I saw a headline this morning. Caroline, come on. You all right? Yeah, no, okay. fine. I'm just trying to get my kid to put her boots on. I, I, uh, David, I And I, of course, down. it's snowing there probably. You're in Wisconsin. So, so, <laughs> not yet, thank God. So I saw a headline this morning. Um I'm blanking on it now. What the, my brain? Because I didn't sleep all night, so my head is not working quite right. Oh, I'm sorry. I did, it's all right. I did a morning radio show from six o'clock to nine o'clock just to see if I liked it. I'm not sure if I did. I, I had trouble sleeping, worrying about waking up. So uh, <laughs> I saw a headline that it's gone. Uh, what were we talking? <laughs> we were talking about going back to school. We were talking about Rockefeller Foundation. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, Rockefeller Foundation, uh, they came out with a pre-vaccine plan for opening schools. And then once vaccines were introduced, they came out with a, okay, now there's a vaccine. Here's the post-vaccine plan for opening schools. I remember now what I was going to say, which was it was a headline about about dire lockdowns in southern England, draconian (laughs) lockdown. And I read about the lockdown, and it's just essentially the sort of – mild it's it's california at its mildest it's like yeah. pretty crazy pretty crazy so isn't their version of lockdown not just guys, like no pubs Teddy, well, not, not even no pubs um, their version of lockdown is schools just, work pubs closed after 10 
But this was close. They are closing pubs and indoor dining. This was a. This was the gasp and in the, in the headline it was draconian lockdown. Still school, still work, still outdoor dining. Pubs closed and and no walking around after yeah. ten o'clock. Yeah, it's, it's so. It's- you have to really read carefully every time you see a headline. So, but listen, uh, get yeah, the neurologist, exactly. get the I psychologist, agree. but lean on your pediatrician. I know you can do that. Okay, I will. All right, Kristen. I will. All right, He's on luck. vacation for a week, of course. But well, then lean on, the, lean on the lean on no 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 lean on the staff there. Then okay. All Chris, right, I yeah, will. You call up. I you go. We, we are in trouble. It's Christmas. I need somebody, and here's what I need. All right. All right. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, and if you and if. Uh, you you can't get the staff to respond, then make an appointment to go in and see one of the pediatricians or whoever's covering your pediatrician. Thanks, Kristen. Nelson. Hey, Dr. Drew, big fan. Hey, man, what's going on? How's it going? Good. What's up? I have a quick question uh, just uh, regarding some COVID symptoms. Not for me, it's for my father. Uh, He's been having um, symptoms for eight days now, just uh, fever, uh, heavy cough, it's it's horrible. He says he's never felt this way. Uh, Unfortunately, he said he's been experiencing uh, some sort of when he coughs a little bit of blood and then on his stool. And he's he went to the hospital a couple of days ago, mm. and they just sent him home. They checked his oxygen, uh, I guess, uh, oxygen level, and I think everything wasn't that bad. But I'm wondering he? if he should How old is he? Uh, medical attention. How old is he? He is fifty-four. Okay, so he's not in a high-risk group. He's overwhelmingly probable to get better. But this is going on a little too long. I, 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 he's sort of entering into the moderate sort of category with his illness. And in that setting, steroids have some utility. Doxycycline has some utility. Remdesivir has some utility. There's something they're giving uh, with, with uh, remdesivir. I think it's called baricitinib. Uh, and that with the remdesivir looks very good. So these are – all things he can get. There are, there are doctors out there that might give him ivermectin in addition to the doxycycline. He, of course, should be taking zinc, 50 milligrams a day. And again, I don't know him. These are not – These are not. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm saying what we would do in a case like this. So the first thing I, – I, I am telling you to do one thing, though, and I'm, I'm ordering you to do the following. Get a digital oxygen saturation monitor. It's just a finger monitor. You can get it for 30 bucks at the pharmacy. Okay. Okay. And if his oxygen saturation drops into the 80s, yeah, that's a time that at least some doctor needs to be notified of what's going on here. But if if I were seeing him, I would definitely put him on doxycycline. I would definitely put him on 50 of zinc. I would probably use a little bit of steroid. And if he didn't get better, I would put him in for the remdesivir and the baricitinib. So that's kind of how I would approach it. I know they're trying to keep people out of the house hospital. They do better out of the hospital. But if yeah. he keeps progressing, uh, and again, I would probably use some ivermectin, just a couple doses. And I, I'm seeing it's interesting uh, as far as the ivermectin goes, which is it's the latest uh, sacrificial lamb. I'm seeing all my surgical colleagues are using ivermectin. They look at the literature and they just go, oh, it looks good. And they use it. All of my internal medicine colleagues are freaked out about it for reasons that are unclear. And we're the ones that use this drug routinely. Or I used to use it at the county hospital all the time. It's very weird. It's very weird. But uh, people are using ivermectin to good effect, it seems to me. Whether there are not yet the randomized controlled studies we'd like to see, one day we will have those. But as everything in medicine, what we do clinically in the best interest of our patients often precedes the science. 
That's how medicine is practiced. But Nelson get that oxygen monitor, and uh, you know he he definitely if you're going to get the doxycycline, uh, you got to have a doctor kind of do that for you. All right. Okay. Awesome. Thank you, all right, Doctor. Take Good. care. You bet. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be done in this early to moderate to mild to moderate cases, and uh, many people are being just sort of mm, get better on your own, which is okay. I mean, that's that's okay. But I would, if I were in it, I would want a little bit of some help just in case. Uh, Robert. No, Sudrumis. Hey, man, what's Question happening for you? Thank you. Uh, there, there was a uh, judge in San Diego that just recently listed a ban on strip clubs in defiance of Gavin Newsom. And I wonder, do you think this is going to be a trend with a lot of judges in California looking at the science? I, I was, I don't know that that happened. I saw that he allowed outdoor dining. He also is allowing what outdoor strip clubs? What's he doing? How's that work? I, I, I'm not sure if it's actually outdoor, indoor, but I know he listed the ban on strip clubs and they are open in San Diego. That's really interesting. Well, my feeling on that is that indoor transmission in, you know, particularly crowded environments uh, is pretty easy to document. So I'm not so sure I, I that's going to stand. And and what I saw him do, at least as it pertained to outdoor dining, was call for evidence. He didn't say, you know, I'm just, we're just going to open them up. You know, he said, if you're going to close them, you got to have evidence, which they do not have. And uh, I guess they probably don't have evidence for strip clubs too, but it'd be, I bet, pretty easy to get. You going to visit one in the meantime? Uh, no, probably not, but I imagine that uh, there'd be a line of guys to <laughs> be part of a study to get that going. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Well, it, you know, let's see. The cannabis places are open. The liquor stores are open. I mean, let's, you know. Here we go. Basically, the judge's also, ruling said that he couldn't find any connection. I also have another wait, wait, question. Wait, hold on, Robert. You, uh, hold, wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Go ahead, sure. Gary. The judge's ruling basically said he couldn't find any connection between restaurants and the spread of COVID. Right. So he opened the restaurants. He also provided for at least two strip clubs to be open, but he his ruling was ambiguous and may extend to further establishments, but he specifically cited these two that were open. Because they a, serve food? I think that, but also because they were open for a period during the pandemic and oh. there was no documented oh. spread, so he's Isn't saying that they can in- reopen. Oh, that's interesting. So he is, so he's wanting. Wow. So he's wanting real time documentation within the community he serves, as opposed to just an evidence based controlled study of some type to justify the action. That's a high bar. Good for him. So what's your other thing, Robert? So I, I take Humira regularly every two weeks, and I know that it definitely affects my immune system. Yeah. My question is, and I kind of haven't gotten a clear answer from my dermatologist, is what should I do when it comes to taking a COVID vaccine? I know it's a live virus, yeah. and usually that is tricky when it comes to taking stuff like Humira. Right. So you have psoriasis? Yes. Can you get yeah. off Humira for a while? Uh, I remember when I talked to my dermatologist about if I were to, because I work in uh, the grocery industry, so mm. I'm definitely around the public a lot. Mm-hmm. And he was saying if I were to contract the virus, obviously to not take my next dose of Humira, but there wasn't really any, you know, any ideas about taking the vaccine. I've only remembered in the past that when it came to the flu vaccine, he would tell me uh, live virus, you got to be careful. And then also, uh, you know, because of the, the medicine itself, what yeah. might it might affect your body differently. Uh, of course, you know, it's an immunosuppressive and you, you are at some different risk, right? So it's a different thing for you. Mm-hmm. 
uh, if I were caring for you, I would see if we could stop the Humira for a while, at least the next dose, and then try to get that vaccine done. But you probably aren't going to be eligible for the vaccine until February, March at the earliest. Oh, think. yeah, for sure. I'm not yeah. worried about it in the short term. I just wondered in the long term. You know, at some point, I, I think I would that do that. That would I, be a purpose. Yeah, I think that'd be a yeah. good way to. Pro- and they may let you take it. I, I don't know the data on. I, I've seen lots of warnings, but not a lot of good guidance on what to do with people on immunosuppressive. So I'm sorry, I don't have anything specific, other than saying if you can get off it, then then I would proceed. Uh, Josh, what's going on? Thanks, Robert. By the way, hey, Josh. Hey, uh, Doctor Drew, how's it going? Good. What's going on? Not much. Uh, you know, I've heard you talk about trauma since you know probably for the last 20 years on Loveline first with Adam and, um, you know, pretty much throughout your career. And I saw your presentation on addiction and how trauma is sort of the driving force for what ends up being in the end an early death, um, you know, before disability and other things. And I was wondering what your current take is on what happens uh, during trauma, what happens as a result of, say, childhood trauma. So you mean neurologically what happens? So it, it, yeah, but but also in your experience, you know, also in the interpersonal. I mean, the whole thing. You know, what if you look at it neurologically, that's fine. I mean, just kind of yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> so so the the funda- So all right. So we are born in the world unable to regulate. We're sort of a wash in primary emotions. They kind of come over us and then wash away and. It, we we can't do anything with them except satisfy basic motivational desires when we're an infant. We, right. in the early stages, <clears throat> are only interested, in fact, in phenomenon that is 100% contingent upon us. So that means everything contained within our body boundary. At about six... So the narcissistic kid... Who just thinks it's all about him gets traumatized. There's, there's not even a there's not even a there's not even a kid or a thinking or a him yet. It's just a, okay. a body that is awash with primary feeling states and motivational states. Uh, right. And and, and the, the him and the self emerges in the relationship with the mom yeah, and the dad. And so at about six months of age, we shift from 100% contingencies to partial contingencies. I think it's like 96%. Uh, Conditional variabilities, and so we start looking at and things. That's when, like, the ego starts to develop. No personhood kind of comes. Josh, into, no. Josh, I'm going to I'm, I'm put you on hold because you're jumping in with things that are not relevant to this thing. So let me just listen to what I'm telling you. So the the these are biological processes, pure and simple. So the partial contingency kicks in, and we start developing an attentional interest in things that are contingent on us. Rolling a ball, seeing it go out in the environment, hitting a mobile. Babies like sitting there and hitting mobiles. Those are partial contingencies. Well, another very common phenomenon in the environment that the baby encounters are faces. And we have a large part of our brain called the fusiform gyrus that is dedicated to face. And so the faces come up to us and we are very focused on those faces. So first, we are the object of attention. And the baby attends back. So attentional mechanisms get built through being attended to. Then while I'm awash in these emotions that I can't identify, I can't understand, I can't regulate, mom comes up and scrutinizes me, pays attention, and then tries to make a determination of what I'm experiencing. When she has that attunement, when she appreciates what I'm going through – 
literally the baby's body and the mom's body start to literally biologically sort of uh, tune together. The hippus of the pupil start to move together. Heart rates start to go together. Breathing starts to go together. And that is physical attunement that the baby can use to regulate some of the emotion. And while they're doing that, the mom puts a reflection on her face of the child's emotional states. Not that the mom is catching the emotional state, though it's hard not to when babies get very emotional. We can have all kinds of reactions. But the healthy reaction is a a pretend understanding of the baby's primary emotions. Like a baby comes up and hurts his finger. We go, no, you hurt your finger. We show a sad face. That's an exaggerated signal. It's a signal to the midbrain, to the deeper parts of the brain that receive that signal as a understanding and a way of identifying and then a way of regulating with the soothing affects that are held in that holding environment of mutual regulation. So in so this is the basic building block of the building of regulation. The phenomenon uh, I'm going to interview a guy named uh, Bud Craig soon who has a whole theory about the, how the autonomic system does this. Stephen Porges thinks it's largely due to the socio-emotional component of the vagus nerve. The vagus has a ton of information coming up from the body and the branchial pouches, which is where the vagus develops, are f- has, has vagal brown branches that go into our voice and go into our ear where literally we can attune our ear to voices. And so vocal prosody, eye-to-eye interaction, the the breathing together, the the holding environment and the mutual regulatory back and forth between mom and baby is what builds the capacity for regulation. And that signaling with the face gives the baby an opportunity to identify the motion. That's my emotion. And as the as language kicks in later, mom will say, oh, you're hurt or oh, you're sad or oh, you're hungry as a way of identifying and having, having a second order representation of those primary emotional states. We use this throughout our lifespan. Then at around six years of age, we start entering into rapprochement where we go out into the world and then we come back for that refueling, that connected attunement with mom. The requirements of that closeness uh, is vulnerability, boundaries, and trust. And if you have been violated, your body boundaries or you've been emotionally abused or physically abused or sexually abused, the ability to trust and be vulnerable in closeness to other humans gets completely shattered. At the same time as the abuse is occurring, the child's brain exceeds its regulatory capacity. It literally shatters its regulatory system so it becomes dysregulated and it it responds essentially by walling off parts of the brain that are traumatized. So those pieces of self sort of fade into the background that are traumatized and some other piece kind of moves forward. But that traumatized piece is always there, always needing attention. And some of the some of the um, sort of necessary uh, criteria for going back and building regulation, trust, closeness, boundaries, are never redeveloped because the child never trusted again. So the child has this big cutoff, unregulated piece of themselves, and they don't stay in the frame that allows them to regulate the rest of their body, which has been shattered and dysregulated and dissociated. The vagus nerve is thought to be the thing that uh, 
is pro- probably the main mediator of uh, dissociation. And if those of you know what numbing is or feeling out of body, that kind of stuff, that's dissociation. And that is the shutdown mode. So we have sort of two autonomic – well, several autonomic functions. But fundamentally, it's fight or flight or shutdown, freeze. And in the freeze state, it's a dysfunctional state. It's not a state from which we can grow. It's adaptive when when there's nowhere else to go. It's sort of a feigning death. But unfortunately, when it becomes an adaptive emotional style – it doesn't allow for further development emotionally. Parts of yourself are walled off and inaccessible, and it makes for it makes for a mess. So there's the primer, Josh. That's the basic landscape. I really, really enjoyed that, and then I found myself, you know, in cutting you off, like either I'm forgetting I'm on the show, or that part of myself is kind of coming up for attention. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that walled off, tra- traumatized part, uh-huh. and you know. For me, what I what I try to do is I try to look at what the unconscious is doing by kind of this the old method of um, a free association, mm-hmm. you know, that Freud uh, did, and it's sort of well, like whatever comes into yeah, my mind, the sort of spontaneous. Yeah, that the the healing of the trauma will not happen alone. It you require brains heal other brains. You require. Yeah re-entering that intersubjective sphere. And there are people that are highly trained in getting to that part and getting it out into the world and into the relationship so you too can relate to it. And it's st- otherwise it stays there. It fuels all kinds of things, behaviors and whatever, but and, and repetition compulsion. You mentioned, you know, re-traumatizing. You know, we don't think about what where attractions come from, if you've ever heard me talk about that. If you've been traumatized, strangely enough, you'll be attracted to people and places that are just like the perpetrators. And even when you're consciously sitting there going, I don't want to be with that kind of guy again. I know what that means. I've seen that guy before. I know I'm usually attracted to those guys, so I'm not going to go with that kind of guy. I'm going to go with this kind of guy. But here's the one common feature. You're still attracted. And so if you're attracted, you're a perfect instrument. So even if that person looks like an angel, that person at some point will become the perpetrator or like the perpetrator. And so you have to go for people if you have trauma and you haven't had it healed. You have to – we always tell them to think uh, uh, butterflies, not lightning bolts. You have to go for somebody you're not super-duper attracted to because the attractions are that traumatic reenaction trying to to get – get back into your life. Why we do that, I mean, I've thought about it evolutionarily and I cannot really figure out, except some people believe that it makes the traumatized victim the canary in the coal mine for the population at large. And so the other so the other members of, say, the tribe learn from your traumatic reenactments. It also makes you highly sensitive to sort of environmental thresholds of trauma and things. And so the, you could become like an alarm, like, a, again, a canary in the coal mine. Thanks, Josh. I got to keep moving on here. Uh, let's see. Um, Shop, Rainy. Had, Rainy. Had the wrong um, Rainy. order whenever I came and fixed it the first time. Rainy. Oh, okay. Hey there. Hi, what's going on? Hi. Um, okay, so I had a quick question um, about my therapist was saying that um, EMDR um, therapy is more for um, a one-off traumatic event like uh, 
major catastrophe like a car crash yeah, as opposed yeah. to like it, it is it is more quickly uh, effective for that kind of thing but i must tell you i've seen emdr work for all kinds of childhood traumas and chronic ptsd it's not necessarily perfect uh and it 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 does work pretty quickly for you know er, you know single traumas i agree with her on that but i use it all the time or refer people to use it all the time with uh more chronic and childhood traumas that kind of thing Okay, perfect. That's exactly what I needed to know. Did you hear my whole lecture on trauma there? Um, partially, yeah. Um, it cut out for a second, but yeah, that everything that you say about trauma, I'm just like a sponge. I try and absorb it. Okay, good. Um, you might yeah. want to go back and listen to that because that was sort of the the basic landscape of you know trauma and how it works and why you have to do things like EMDR to access parts of yourself that your brain doesn't want you, want you to have access to. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and that's why I've been in therapy for four years straight, and so I figured that was a good foundation. But if there's anything else, well, you may not. Yeah, listen, EMDR is not the only thing for trauma, right? I mean, good emotionally focused therapy and stuff. I'm, you know, I I think just if you've been in four years, always, always pay attention. If you suddenly start to want to leave therapy, be careful that that's not some kind of emotional resistance. Okay. Oh, no, no. I, I was figuring on doubling down. Okay. Day. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Randy. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much. Bye. Uh, and this is uh, Joe. Hey, what's up, Joe? Hey, Dr. Drew. How you doing hey, today? Hey, buddy. What's happening? All right. Hanging in. Um, I, I want to ask this question, especially since you have Dr. Zelenko on tonight on, on, on the show. On the um, show. On dose of Dr. Drew. Yeah. I want to ask you about the AMA reversing their stance on hydroxychloroquine. Tell me. I, I wasn't aware of this. What have they done? Uh, yeah, well, they, uh, they reversed their stance stating that the potential for good um, currently may supersede the threat of any potentially harmful side effects. And oh, my gosh. I know Dr. After Zalinko all this, after all this, about- here's my, Joe, here's my basic reaction to that. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? Gary? I do want to tell you guys, and obviously this is just the cursory Google search, but when you put in AMA hydroxychloroquine, the top articles all say no, the AMA didn't rescind statement on hydroxychloroquine. Meaning that was some sort of false story? Something like that, yeah. Oh, Joe, where'd you see this? I'm going to send you the article. It's from the Gateway Pundit. And, and, look, look that and up, too, it's been retweeted by Zelenko. Well, of course, because he's, you know, he's deep in that stuff. I, I, I am not... Um, a super fan of hydroxychloroquine by any means. I, I think that if a doctor wants to use it, he or she should be at their liberty to do so. Uh, I, I'm convinced it is not a very good prophylactic agent, though Dr. Zelenko uses it and treats thousands of COVID patients without a mask. It makes me wonder if he's already had it. I, Joe, I'm, I believe I believe he was. I believe he was treating Giuliani with it. Oh, that's interesting. And, and the reason why is because Giuliani, when he recovered from COVID, thanked Zelenko for treating him. Oh, that's so interesting. I, I, could you ask him tonight yeah. about, uh, you know, yeah. Mayor Giuliani? Yeah, remind me if I, if I don't do it. But Joe, what do you got there, Gary? It, the top of the Gateway Pundit article says that it's recently been updated with the disappointing information that the AMA ultimately rejected resolution. Uh, thank you. Thank uh, you for okay. clarifying that. Because, and thank you for clarifying that because, again, I did not see that. And my apologies to both. No problem. No problem. It, no makes, problem. More, it makes more sense. That's, I'm not so outraged now. We can, that's we can, what you, we're here for. You can it's cut fine. me, cut off me screaming if you want, Gary. Because it, it doesn't make sense to me that they would so quickly and easily but, reverse without a little more but, uh, fanfare. But – why 
have they, why, to the best of my knowledge and maybe to the best of yours, why has there not been a peer-reviewed study I know. shown early yeah i know i know i know it's weird it's but well they have a repeat they have some studies with early use with no zinc or and so it's like well no no i'm talking about the actual zelenko protocol it yeah. minus zelenko yeah, yeah i'm yeah. talking about somebody else minus no i know it's weird but there is some there is some stuff on hydroxychloroquine it doesn't look that great but but not with zinc and so your point is well taken i find it bizarre it's really bizarre to me joe i, I don't know what i don't know what that is I don't know what it is. Here, Adam Carolla is calling me. Hey, I'm in your studio doing a podcast. Okay. I guess it's okay. <laughs> Adam Carolla calling in. Um, let's talk to uh, Scott. Hey, Scott, what's going on? Hey, uh, Adam, how you doing today? It's Drew. What's up? Drew, I'm sorry. You, you, know, how uh-huh. that, you know how the mind works. I do know how the mind works. I do that all the time. You just said Adam, and it was in my brain. Yep, yep. <laughs> hey, uh, I'm taking a Advastatin 20 milligrams. A, a Torvastatin? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> okay. So, yes, 20 milligrams. Okay. My uh, overall cholesterol is 105. Triglycerides are 97. LDL is 53. Mm. And the HDL is 34. Okay. And... I, I, to me, it seems like it's my cholesterol is kind of where it needs to be without taking a statin. Without taking a statin. Unless, yes. This is on twenty milligrams of the statin. Wait, 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 wait! I'm, I'm confused. You're on twenty milligrams of a torvastatin, correct? Correct. And these are your numbers on a torvastatin. Correct. Right. They will jump right back up again if you were to stop or even miss a day of a torvastatin. Okay. That's the way it what works. About, uh, what about, uh, I'm also, I had gout. I'm taking co- uh, coclazine, and you're probably going to tell me the same thing. But my uric well, acid is a 5.5. Five. Well, you're taking colchicine, which is which is sort of an anti-inflammatory, sort of, uh, for gout specifically. If that's working and you're not getting diarrhea from it, that's a pretty mild medication to take. There are many other things you can take to drive your uric acid down so you don't need colchicine. It seems like now they're recommending xyloprim over benamid or probenicid. Uh, you know, uh, these are, you know, each each have their own risk benefits. If you're fine on colchicine and your uric acid is still up, if your uric acid comes down, then maybe you could think about getting off the colchicine. So so you do have two metabolic problems still, right? You have the the low HDL and the elevated yeah. uric acid. I'm going to bet you're pre-diabetic also. Uh, my, uh, I'm a A1C is a 5.5. Okay. That's good. And my glucose is a 112. So yeah, the 112 is not so great, but that 5.5 is okay. And, uh, so what are we doing with the diet? Well, we're, we're doing the Vinny thing. We dropped uh, 40 to 50 pounds this year and we just got to keep working on it. Great. Great. Just keep it going. I'm going to predict, uh, how, how much you need to lose. Uh, probably another 120. All right. In about 60 pounds or so, your uric acid should drop. Uh, we The the sugar should get better. Uh, the HDL, we'll see. That may, that may come later. Uh, but otherwise, uh, then you'll be great. 
You'll be really cool. And are you taking Look, 20 milligrams of atorvastatin right now? Is that right? Yes. You may well be able to drop that down to 10. So, you know, I've got the same problems. I, I If I were to gain a bunch of weight, I would look just like you. And uh, I, I still am afraid, you know, Vinny wants me off my statin. I'm on a Vitorin. Uh, and my HDL came right up with the no carb, no, uh, you know, no sugar, no starch. So I'm hoping that happens for you, that the HDL comes up too. I bet it will because your, your triglycerides are down. So I'm going to bet you're going to benefit greatly from this diet. I, I appreciate it. My only question was because you know you listen to the Vinny type people and all the people on that side with the uh, yeah. carnivore. They're 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 so anti-statin. I know. I just wanted to I get know. your opinion. I, I mean, I I'd love to see you get down 20 milligrams a moderate dose. I mean, you could you could. I bet you'll get down to 10. But like me, if you're like me, getting that LDL down is impossible. And I have had a calcium score of zero with a horrible family history of endovascular disease. So, I mean, why would I screw with that? I take a tiny dose. I take, I take the ha- a half of the lowest dose of Itorin, and pff, it doesn't bother me at all. So why not stay with it? You know what I mean? No, believe me, I, I appreciate yeah. it. So good, man. Good for Sounds you. Are, how are you finding the diet? Is it easy to follow? So it is for me. Uh, the wife has M&Ms and stuff in the house. Ah. I don't touch it. I don't touch it for months, so I'm I'm, I'm I'm doing well. Good. And but, uh, you know, are you staying sort of more carnivore-ish? You're doing a lot of vegetables. What are you doing? I like I like asparagus. I like artichokes. I like salads. So I'm kind of mixing it up both, uh, both ways. Good for you, man. This is uh, it's exciting. Check check back. Uh, how fast? How long have you been on this? Uh, I've been on and on and off for a couple of years, but uh, really since the beginning of the year. Uh, Religiously. Great. Do you have a Twitter handle? I do. Can we hear it? I, I, I don't really promote – I really don't promote the, the, okay. the diet. Okay, because we like watching I'm people. Not, I'm not – there's a whole world out I, there, uh, I'm sure you know, of people yeah. supporting each other and stuff. So, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. All right, Scott, thanks for the call. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks. You got thanks, it. Doc. Bye. So good. Yeah, the Vinny diet is no starch, no grain. Uh, I've been doing that for about three years now. I had my my thir- no sugar, no grain. Oh, I thought he did a no starch, no grain. Well, I've been doing no starch, no sugar, no grain, no carbs, no nothing, uh, and more on the carnivore side of things. Though recently, I've been doing more vegetables for the last maybe six months or so. And I had my uh, latest colonoscopy yesterday, and that was a good time. I'm still kind of tired today from that. And uh, yeah, my everything still working great. It looks good on. I mean, it's, everything is improved for me on this diet. I think it's not for everybody, and I'm not convinced it's for young people. But for old types with metabolic syndrome, I am convinced this is a good thing. The you can listen to Peter Atia's pod where he goes into great, great detail about the apolipoprotein biology, and you'll see that uh, apolipoproteins and insulin and therefore sugars figure into this process of line, damage in the lining of the arteries. Uh, and in some, to some respect, the laying down of cholesterol and the oxidizing of cholesterol and putting it in there may be a attempted healing that the body does of these va- endovascular injuries, but that the, in, the original injury may be the apolipoproteins, which makes sense to me. And it's kind of a complicated biology. You can get into the weeds of it. Um, Dave Feldman gets into the weeds. Vinny gets into it to, to an extent too. Uh, so you can follow 
Vinny Tordrich. Uh, what's his podcast? I forget. Skinny. Fitness Confidential. Fitness Confidential. Fitness Confidential. All right, everybody. And as you hear this, uh, the second edition of Vinny's Fat Documentary is available on iTunes and anywhere you get your documentaries. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes, yes. I think I'm in that one too, right? I think you are. So, I, again, I, particularly back then when he was doing this documentary, I was quite enthusiastic because I felt so much better. And it was, I didn't have to diet. I mean, I just had to watch what I was eating in a particular way. And uh, yeah, I've been very, uh, very happy with this diet ever since. All right, everybody. Thank you for calling in, those of you that did. I appreciate you guys listening always. And in 2021, again, we're going to have lots of very interesting uh, interviews coming your way. And uh, Happy New Year, everyone. We appreciate you being here, and we'll see you next time. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes. Only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com.